Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Bunny Chronicles podcast. This is your host, Randy Kim. I got a chance to speak with my friend Jenny Ho. Jenny recently moved back to San Diego this fall after spending seven plus years in Chicago. During her time in Chicago, she recently started a merchandise line called Lawrence and Argyle, which sells t-shirts, hoodies, and pins with immigrant and refugee messages. Through this merchandise line, 50% of the proceeds go directly towards a participating immigrant and refugee organization. In my conversation with Jenny, we spoke about the inspiration behind Lawrence and Argyle, her upbringing as a second generation Vietnamese American, and the challenges of assimilation and the effects of intergenerational trauma from being a child of Vietnam War refugees. We've only known each other for a few months, but we spoke like old childhood friends, reminiscing about our past. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bun Me Chronicles podcast. This is your host, Randy Kim. I am here with my good friend, uh, Jenny Ho. And Jenny, how are you doing today? Pretty good, Randy. Pretty good. How are you? Well, I had to catch my breath for a moment because I was like thinking, oh my God, the connection is going to drop off. Um, So prior (laughs) to all of this, we were spending the past 10 or so minutes trying to get our connection on. And uh, Mm -hmm. so crossing my fingers. But yes, I'm doing well for the most part. And uh, right now in Chicago, it's in the 50s. Um, And how are you doing over in sunny San Diego? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's not in the 50s here. It's in the 90s. So I am in my shorts with the Uh, windows open. (laughs) uh, You know, you're actually the second person that I've interviewed from uh, San Diego. uh, A person who just left. Yeah. um, I was just interviewing my good friend, Anubat. Uh, She was from Chicago, but she went back home to San Diego a few months uh, back. And so, yeah, you are the second person. Awesome. Yeah, there's something about SoCal uh, that huh, yeah. people in. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's great to have you on. And thanks, Randy. Glad to be yeah. here. Before we begin, I would like to see if you uh, can introduce yourself. Sure. Um, well, I'm Jen Ho. Jenny or Jennifer is good too. Um, I am from San Diego. Uh, Randy and I met in Chicago uh, when I started Lawrence and Argyle, uh, which is my side hustle. Uh, it's an apparel company that celebrates our immigrant heritage as Americans. Um, and then during the day, I'm an archivist, which is a type of librarian. Uh, so I live in San Diego now. I just moved back last week after seven years in Chicago. So that's where I am now. Yeah, I, I, I'm so sad that uh, you had to leave us, but I'm but I'm also glad that you decided to you know re. Uh, connect back to your roots and yeah. I know that part of it was uh, watching over your parents mm-hmm. uh, uh, so like you know Jen and I well you and I I should say uh, we're both in our late 30s and our parents are also you know aging and um, I'm also a caregiver to both of my parents my mom is a stroke survivor for the past seven and a half years my dad mm-hmm. you know has had mental health issues um my mom being Vietnamese and my dad being Cambodian, they're from that Vietnam War uh, slash Cambodian killing fields genocide of the past 40, 45 years. So we are seeing a lot of our parents get older. And was that also a big part of what led you to come back to San Diego? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty lucky in that my parents are still well and active. Um, but, you know, they are in their late 60s, early 70s, um, and they're not together anymore. So I just wanted to be here um, because I know that that time is coming, hopefully later rather than sooner. But I just really felt like it was just time for, for me to be here with them just in case something happens. Because, you know, eventually we're all going to get older. So, yeah, that's pretty much the main reason I came back because I really, really loved Chicago and I still do. Um 
I guess at this point I'm thinking of it as my second home because I just really flourished and thrived there, not just with Lawrence and Argyle, but personally too. It's just so full of amazing people that contributed to my my success and my growth. So, but yeah, I came home for mom and dad. So. Yeah, yeah, and I, and and looking back, you know, part of um, the reason why I wanted to bring you in here is that even though you're no longer in Chicago you made such an important impact uh, being in Chicago in the past seven uh, years. And and also being that we're also the, on the older millennial generation, mm-hmm. we are now taking the responsibility or I should say the legacy of our parents' uh, journey, their survival coming into America. And um, were you also born in the United States? Because because I was born, the first one born on both sides of my family. So I was just wondering mm-hmm. um, what brought uh, your family to uh, California or to America? Uh, after yeah, sure. Uh, so my parents are war refugees. They came here in the 70s. And my brother and I were actually born in the Chicago suburbs. Um, oh, really? Yeah, funny, right? Um, I so, know that. Yeah, it's not something I share a lot. Um, yeah, but we were both born in the Chicago suburbs. And we left when I was four years old. So um, I don't have any memory of it. Um, when I when I moved to Chicago seven years ago, it wasn't like I was coming home or anything like that. Mm. Um, although reflecting on it now, it kind of is because of Uptown and because of Argyle and because we are Vietnamese, we do have some some history and some heritage there too. Um, but yeah, so my family landed in Chicago. And then when I was a, a kid, a very small kid, we moved to san diego because my mom's entire family was here Mm. yeah and growing up we taught your parents uh language so that's a complicated question and i guess the easiest way to answer that is technically i can't even say technically i i can understand vietnamese Uh, i can understand like a casual friendly conversation yeah. Um, I couldn't cannot watch like the news or Paris by Night or any of those things because I just can't understand anything beyond just like normal casual chit chat. Um, so yeah, speaking is something I avoid because my Vietnamese is disgraceful. So um, I was never. I did. I can read a bit and write a bit because my aunt enrolled me in. Um, these little like after school tutoring sessions. So I do have a little bit of, of literacy there, but in general, no, I, I try to, um, I try to avoid speaking Vietnamese and even telling people that I'm Vietnamese um, just because I, it's so embarrassing how bad my language skills are. It's, it's very challenging uh, because when I grew up, I had Vietnamese, I had Khmer, and also hmm. my first few years, growing up because my parents were working uh quite a bit uh i, I was also i had a babysitter that of a, a grandmother from peru so she spoke oh, wow. Spanish. Huh. so i had several languages with uh, spanish Khmer, vietnamese and english oh, how funny. thrown at wow. me at a very young age so i felt like i'd never learned to develop um mm-hmm. my language skills from that early age uh i would also Looking back, my uh, father spoke both Vietnamese and Cambodian and also spoke English very well. My mom didn't speak English too well um, Mm. when I was growing up, and she's only spoke Vietnamese. But my father uh, was really insistent on me learning English at an early age because I was born in America. My potential success Mm -hmm. uh, or my success hinges on being able to master the language right Uh, absolutely so so there was that sacrifice so it it was hard and and going off of what you were mentioning that the struggle of being able to speak uh, your parents native tongue is a struggle because when you try to learn the language there's this expectation from our own community that we must be fluent in it and Mm -hmm when we attempt to, when we make mistakes in our own parents' tongue, we are often corrected, shamed, mm-hmm. and it becomes very difficult to continue to want to learn that language mm-hmm. because we feel like we can't be enough. But at the same right. time, growing up, there's this pressure that 
we have to succeed and and also being able to talk English without the foreign accent that's right. associated with a lot of Asian folks. So right. did you feel that pressure to also learn English uh, from your parents to do as, as a way to do well in school and to lose the accent? If you I had any. Yeah, I don't think, I have no memory of my parents ever telling me or, or pushing me to learn English because I think English was always front and center. Um, not at home, obviously, but just at school and around us. And I was a huge reader growing up. I, my book, my nose was always in a book and I was always reading books in English. So in that sense, my language skills were probably overdeveloped in English. Um, so I never, I never felt the pressure to learn English. Although I, looking back, I think what your parents, um, focused on in terms of having you speak English probably is what my parents did too subconsciously because there's always that that otherness right if you're not white then are you really American and if you're not American how can you succeed in America so having at least the un unaccented language is the first step to being successful and that's what every what every parent wants but definitely what every immigrant parent wants for their kids yeah, I, I, I mean, refugee resettlement or you know, resettling into a country that is not home, that that's a foreign land to you, is is terrifying. I, I yeah. cannot imagine what uh, my mom's family went through or what my dad went through when he came into the U.S. My parents both met in America. Oh, and okay. For my for my mom's side of the family when they arrived. Uh, in Chicago, they were sponsored by a Catholic relief agency mm -hmm. that taught them how to do, how to write a checkbook, how mm -hmm. to uh, go to the grocery store, how to use public transportation. So they relied on these agencies to guide them to survive. And wow, yeah, and the things we they, take for granted. Yeah, that and and they had to work in factories to make a living. And mm -hmm. and granted, they were getting paid meager wages. So coming into America, what were your parents doing? Were they getting sponsored through the agency? And what, how, how was the uh, resettlement process like for them? And how did yeah. it affect you growing up? Um, so my parents, so my parents also met here in America. Um, they met through, this is all very blurry to me because they, they don't share a lot. Um, so I've, I've pieced together um, pieces of their story throughout the years, but I've never sat down with either of them and really heard the full story. Not for lack of trying, but because it's just so difficult to get them to do. So everything yes. that I'm telling you is just kind of like what I've observed and figured out and just kind of like stitched together from growing up like here and there from what I've heard. Um, but they were sponsored by a lady in Florida uh, my mom's family was sponsored by a lady in Florida. Uh, my aunt Irene, we're still in touch with her. Mm. And uh, she was in the military. She was some kind of like high-ranking military official person. Um, and she sponsored my mom and her mom and my mom's three sisters, but all girls. And my mom came here when she was in her early 20s and she was the youngest. Um, and so they went from Florida to... Chicago, Chicago suburbs. And I think my dad's story was kind of similar, except I don't know who sponsored him. Mm. Um, yeah, and I've never talked to them about the agency that they worked with or really what it was like in terms of day to day, but I know that they all went to ESL classes um, and learned how to use public transportation, like you mentioned. And it was just kind of piecing together this brand new life in this brand new crazy place that they were forced to come to. And I always get the impression whenever I talk to them that it was just difficult and weird and kind of lonely. Mm. Um, and I don't want to, I might be romanticizing it in my head, but this is, I always get this overwhelming feeling of the struggle and the hardship that they went through. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I remembered uh, my grand. You bring up this point because my grandfather, who passed away um, uh, two decades ago, mm -hmm. uh, he was in the Vietnam War. I mean, he was in the uh, military, and so he had a he had 
a hierarchy in that uh, in the army that he was in. And I remembered uh, my mom used to tell me how independent he was. I, I had memories of him being very strong and being very mm-hmm. confident. But she told me once that he would cry um, quite a bit at night because oh, wow. he felt that he couldn't survive. He couldn't speak English. Oh, he was already in his 50s. So to see a, a grown man be reduced to tears. Yeah. Like he can't to feel like he has to rely on his own kids for a man who has been so used to being independent his entire life and fighting in the battle uh, and the fighting in the battles to see that was devastating. You know, and my mom told me that a few years ago. So there is that whole the refugee narrative that oh, it's you know brave it's heroic there's resiliency and there is resiliency in it mm-hmm, but at the same definitely. time it was a very lonely difficult period and for your parents to raise um you as to give you a childhood which they right. did not have because their right. time was marred by war i'm sure that it was so difficult to for you to grow up and and them having to figure out how to live in America, how to speak English, how to, yeah. how to uh, raise, uh, mm-hmm. raise you and your sibling. Right, right? definitely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way my brother and man I grew up was a completely, I mean, literally a different country, right? With, yes. with all these um, different customs and traditions. And as much as you try to hold on to your own traditions and what you grew up with, there's always this this, uh, I don't know, dichotomy, right? This struggle back and forth, like trying to find the right balance so that you don't lose that part of your heritage, but your kids don't grow up completely, you know, weird and foreign too. So it's hard because yeah, I remembered. Yeah. It's, yeah. I re- I'm sorry if I'm interrupting. No, I just remembered, like, was it weird for your parents uh, to talk about Halloween, to talk about Christmas? And like, especially when you have all these events at school, or mm-hmm. can I go yeah. to the game? Did that kind definitely. of feel weird to even ask those questions? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. So the holidays were always kind of funny. Like, I feel like a lot of the holidays we celebrated just because everyone else did, like all the white neighbors did, so we should too, right? And they're always in, yeah. in the stores and all the decorations, the music are there. So, so we just kind of did it so that we could fit in and have the quote-unquote right American experience, um, which I'm thankful for. You know, you don't want to grow up to be denied everything that that you want. Um, so I appreciate that my parents made that accommodation for me and my brother. Um, something that I did get to do with a ton of struggle was go to dances. And I was never really allowed to go with a date. Uh... Uh, I was always in a group. Um, my I did have a date for my junior prom, but it was just a friend, like a guy friend who had always like, you know, come to my house, but always in a group. Um, there, we, there was nothing romantic about it. My parents knew him um, and he and I didn't like travel to the prom together or anything like that. Like everyone went in a group and he was just my date for the purpose of getting me flowers and standing in the picture with me. But yeah, there was always this fear of like, you know, if you go to dances, you're going to get pregnant like one of these American kids or, you know, what are you going to do afterwards and what are you going to do during and, and that kind of thing, I always felt. Um, so I got to go to a few dances, but I remember always having to put up a fight because I just wanted to participate so badly. And my parents, especially my dad, mostly my dad probably, was like, oh, I don't know if you should. Ah. So <laughs> Aww, <laughs> it must yeah. have been really hard for him. I, I can imagine because I, looking back on homecoming dances, I had to have my dad drop me off. I mean, it was hard to explain that I'm going to a dance. It was hard to explain that I want to go to a, a high school game. And my my dad, or both of my parents, became very, what I would thought, back then, what I would think is being very paranoid because mm-hmm. uh, they were asking me, well, what time are we going to come home? But it was more than the typical parent. It's like, who are you going to go with? What do they look like? Um, yeah. What is this dance supposed to be about? Is it going to mm-hmm. involve drugs? So there was a lot of interrogation 
Right, right? definitely. And, interrogation, definitely. Yeah, and looking back, and especially, you know, with my parents' backstory, it made a lot of sense because they lived in a time where family separations were very frequent. Mm-hmm. And my dad, on being from Cambodia, being from Cambodia at that time, experienced a lot of near death and seeing mm-hmm. devastation of uh, the Khmer people that was going on there in that short period of time. And then for uh, his family that was living in Vietnam, um, they've experienced losses within the family. And my mom's side of the family had a few of their own. So there was this constant pressure, like not even trusting their own neighbors because mm-hmm. both countries were mired in a civil war. So yeah. to think that they might lose their children to another right. in a foreign land is, yeah. is a terrifying thought. And Right, definitely. Yeah, which brings me to the question, do you feel that your parents uh, in many ways overprotected both you and your brother? I mean, were they very, were they very uh, too hands-on to the point where it, like you as a teenager, we both want to rebel. We both want mm-hmm. to have our own identity, right? But right. did you feel that did you feel that what they were dealing with affected your relationship with them back in those teen years? I honestly, I think it must have. Like there's no way it couldn't have, right? But the fact that my parents just don't talk about, um, their experiences with the war or even with their young adulthood or childhood. I just, I, I don't think I can place my finger on any, on any direct experience that they had that affected the way they raised me and my brother. Um, but with that said, they were super strict. Mm. Um, and I think all I can really conclude is that it was, that it was and is maybe a country that's, that was so unfamiliar to them. And if something, ha- I mean, obviously for any parent around the world, wherever you are, losing your child is the worst thing that can actually happen to you, right? Yeah. Um, but to have that happen in a place where you're not completely settled and you haven't really found your feet and you don't truly understand what's going on and you know there are people that don't want you here, I think that, that the fear you have for your children is amplified so much more. Mm. Um, you know, for like, you know, a white person whose family has been here since the Mayflower and they have traditions and, you know, they're the alumni at the local big university and they have connections everywhere. It's obviously still terrible to, to lose your kid or have something traumatic happen, but you have this network built in and you know that people are on your side and they'll help you. But, you know, for an immigrant or refugee family, especially when you're relatively new to the area and you're just looking for your bearings, I can't imagine how difficult it would be to not just raise a family, but also to make sure that your kids are safe. Mm. Um, I think that must've been on my parents' mind all the time. And I think it, it still must be to a certain extent. Having to let go when, you're, when your kids are grown up, I think is really difficult. And that's probably why a lot of us, you know, Oh. Asians are, are still, you know, close with our families, definitely in your case and mine. Yeah. And how would you describe your relationship with your parents growing up? And also, what were you like as a student? Were you uh, a person yeah. that was uh, very uh, obedient? Or do you see yourself as a person that uh, wanted to rebel, have, lib- uh, have creative expression? Mm-hmm. What were you like as a child? And, and, and what was your relationship with your parents in a, in a sense, growing up as a late, being a teenager into young adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my relationship with my parents, uh, looking back, it was pretty bad because they were so strict and I was extremely rebellious. Yeah. Um, and when I say rebellious, I don't mean <clears throat> like I was drinking beer or like smoking cigarettes or smoking anything. Um, but it was more like I want to hang out with my friends. Um, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was my rebellion. I always said I was very rebellious and I would always brag about it, but the thing is that I rebelled so I can stay 
past 9 p.m. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not a big deal, right? But it was just right. like, okay, you got to be back at 7.30. And, and you're just like, what the hell? 7.30? The sun the hasn't gar- even gone down. The gargantuan effort to extend <laughs> yeah. to fight for your rights to stay another hour. Yeah, seriously, seriously. Constantly calling them to check in. Um... Yeah, like like asking for a couple dollars so you could buy a magazine or a book or, <laughs> you know, like it was so hard. Every time I wanted a piece of freaking candy, I had to I had to ask. Um, oh I had no freedom. I feel like um, so in so in that sense, I was extremely rebellious. But I think I just wanted what, what every kid had. I mean, to my eyes, what every kid had was just to hang out with friends, you know, um, go to dances. And just do whatever I want and not not to like, you know, go on ski trips and, you know, have sex or like smoke <laughs> weed behind the bleachers. Like none of that. I just wanted to hang with my friends and I I barely got to that do came, that. I, I mean, for me, that probably came like somewhere in my 20s. <laughs> that <worked laughs> <laughs> yeah, same here. We were late bloomers, I think. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And was there any point in your relationship with your parents that it started to get better like where your parents started to uh to tone down the the strictness the paranoia that they um have been uh, projecting uh on you for your entire for practically for a good part of your childhood yeah did you feel like at any point during your relationship where you started to feel like okay i think i understand my mom and dad i think my parents are starting to trust me now Mm -hmm. I think that that time came maybe about a decade ago. So when I was in my mid to late 20s, um, I feel like they finally loosened their grip a little bit. Um, And I think it was just kind of (laughs) like, I don't know. I don't know what made them loosen their grip. I speculate it might have been that they were just tired, you know, of having to worry. And they just kind of let go because they, they had to. And they saw that I, they saw that I, was okay and I wasn't getting pregnant and you know coming home falling down drunk or anything like that um yeah and then honestly moving to Chicago and finally being on my own for the first time in life and and having my own free time and you know just being a hundred percent self-directed I think that really showed them that I have grown up so I speculate that being here now is gonna uh, our relationship will be better than ever because I've finally found the confidence and the strength to be by myself. And I and I think in that sense, I'll be even better equipped to take care of them. And I think that they'll see that. And um, I think it'll really help us a lot. But yeah, it's only been maybe about 10 years. So mid to late 20s is when I finally felt the energy shift between us and things got better. And I was less mm. rebellious, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, although, you know, sometimes, like, you, I would just move back home uh, to watch over my parents. And, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. my mom, well, we still get a little nosy every now and then. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, those, you can't I mean, avoid those it. Things, I mean, those things don't ever, you know. They will never change. Yeah. yeah. Those things yeah. will never uh, sure. erode uh, whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> but Definitely. at the same time, yeah, at the same time, I also, they, they've also been relying on me in a sense, yeah, too. And, and that, and that, there's they some power to, yeah, there's there's trust and I feel like they can let go uh, of a lot That's of awesome. those fears, right? That's so good. yeah, so what brought you to Chicago? Um, um what brought me to time? Chicago? Yeah. yeah, so honestly it was a job. Um I had finished grad school about six months before and my first job offer after grad school was um out in the Chicago suburbs. So that's what's that's what brought me out there. Um yeah, it's pretty hard to find a job in my field. Um, like I said, I, I'm a librarian. So uh, when I got the offer, I went out there. I was really happy to be in. I mean, it was out in the Chicago suburbs, so it wasn't super exciting. But I was really excited to be really close to a major metropolitan area because San Diego yeah. isn't really. Um, so, yeah. So I lived in the Chicago suburbs for a couple years and then moved out into the city. And is just like, I don't know, like. The world appeared before me and you know i saw the light and everything was good it was just such a great 
experience being out there and I, I just grew so much and met the most amazing people, um, including you, just nice, kind people who were incredibly like thoughtful and and just were exploring their identities. Um, we have a little night. We have a little uh, Midwest niceness in us. I think that's really a thing, man. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I love that Midwest niceness. Where, it's in, the, awesome. where in the Chicago suburbs uh, did you live? Uh, I lived in Naperville and worked in Joliet. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I grew up in Westmont, which is not too oh, right. far Naperville. It's about twenty minutes. Yeah. Um, it's about twenty minutes away. Yeah. But yeah, um, Naperville. I've been. I'm pretty familiar with, but it's also uh, for a lot of folks who don't know Naperville. It's also a very bougie um, mm -hmm. summer. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's very nice and a little bougie. Yeah, yeah. And so, tell us about what got you started with Lawrence and Argyle. I mean, I can tell you, like, when I saw the first two words mm -hmm. um, for that uh, on your Instagram, and I believe eventually. When I was looking into it, it was like, oh my gosh, it's also a merchandise. Uh -huh. So I have my own thoughts about what Lawrence and Argyle means to me, but what led you to create Lawrence and Argyle and what did it mean for you? Um, so honestly, the answer to that is I started Lawrence and Argyle because I wanted to be a business owner. Um, my mom is a business owner. She's pretty much always worked for herself. And her mother was a business owner, too, in Vietnam. Um, just, just you know, entrepreneurs, lady bosses. Oh, um, what did they, yeah, what did they, um, what did they own? What was their uh, business? Yeah, so my grandmother, who I've never, she passed away decades ago, and I don't have any memories of her. So from what I understand, she, um, she owned, like, a small transportation business, uh, moving people um, from the north to the south in Vietnam, just back and forth on these little buses. Mm. Um and then also a lot of different things. Um, she was a, an accomplished artist, so she um, created greeting cards that she sold wholesale. Oh. Um, yeah, so just, just various things to support her family because she had uh, four, five daughters, and her mm. husband had walked out on them. So she was a single oh, parent. Oh, oh. Yeah, so she, you, know, you just do what you can to survive, right? Yeah. Um, and then so my mom... Um, when she moved here to San Diego, she started um, a cleaning business, a janitorial company. Mm. Uh, so she hired a lot of people who were also Vietnamese refugees, and not all, um, but yeah, they cleaned businesses around the San Diego area. And um, she and my dad also owned a vending machine business, and then they also had a small chain of retail stores. And they did some of these things at the same time. So like the cleaning company at the same time as the retail store. Um, so they worked all the time. There was a ton of overlap. Um, yeah, relaxing is not really part of my mom's MO. She's a workaholic, um, but an incredible entrepreneur. Like what I do with Lawrence and Argyle is tiny potatoes compared to what she has done. Um, in her life. So she's amazing. So I feel like I get it from her and, and my grandma. And I just wanted to to do something where I had 100% creative control and could do whatever I want. Um, so yeah, that's how Lawrence and Argyle started. I wanted it to be something, I wanted it to be philanthropic in a way. Um, so for Lawrence and Argyle, I give half of my profit to organizations that support immigrants and refugees. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the cause to be geared towards something that I think about and read about and write about. And that is just being a child of immigrants and being part of a Vietnamese refugee family. Mm. Um, I, yeah, regardless of what country people have come from, I feel like when you're part of that first or second generation American, that's a really special narrative that a lot of people find um find strong correlations with each other, even if their families are not from the same country or part of the world. Mm. So, um, yeah, so the My Child of Immigrants merchandise is definitely number one by far, because people identify with that that identity so much. I've probably gone on a huge tangent, haven't I? No, I think it's a wonderful, I think it's a beautiful uh, story about your, uh, about your mom and your grandma, and this oh, idea you. and and the idea of being able to have the autonomy and and the legacy that your uh, that your 
that your mom and grandma passed on to you. It's it, it's really beautiful to watch to see this continue on. And, and this time Thank you're you. doing you're doing a work that is also in a way honoring them, your family, and their survival and the resiliency that they went through, and also your own survival, your own resiliency, because there's also the intergenerational trauma that gets passed down, uh, especially from time of war, uh, that goes mm -hmm. on for subsequent generations. And we too um, have been affected um, by our parents' struggles, even Definitely. though we may not have lived through the Vietnam War or the labor camps, refugee mm -hmm. camps, or what have you. But there is this, there is this, uh, the struggle that we in inherited, the fact that we had to be the first to grow up in America. Mm -hmm. There's this expectations that we're carrying um, right. to do well in school, to also know that even though we've had our childhoods, they, our parents didn't have their childhood. So there's a sense of trying to carry on the responsibility to, uh, to help them, uh, whether it's going to help them with their bills because mm -hmm. they may not be able to understand this English sentence because you know certain mm -hmm. things can be very complicated for a lot of non-native English speaking parents, right? Definitely. So, so we've had to show, we've had to play the adult in many situations uh, where they're relying on us. And it, 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 it's exhausting, but it's also, a lot of pressure to take mm -hmm. on yeah absolutely absolutely and and when you and you're not allowed to complain about that pressure right you're right. not allowed absolutely. to have feelings about it you're just basically they're just basically trying to survive and you you just you bet you and you just have to deal with it right exactly and it's I it felt, very, it felt very lonely for me because i remember growing up being bullied um mm. by white classmates uh for a number of years and it was hard for me to tell this to my parents. Mm. And it, it was really hard to have these conversations about what was happening in school and why it affected my grades, why it affected my ability to, my ability to socially engage with my peers. So yeah, I, I didn't realize until the last 10, five to 10 years that I realized that, that there was this trauma that, mm is to me it now feels validated it feels like it's it does exist where back then i thought it was just me not being man enough or mm, not, being, yeah. Yeah, not being um being seen to being made to be seen as weak right mm. so yeah i mean i think that what you're doing opens up that dialogue of the immigrant refugee narrative that's not one singular narrative it's so many different layers there's so mm -hmm. many different um, intersections at play with with this long um enduring evolving um stories that come out of our refugee immigrant communities here so right. why is the name why is it called lawrence and argyle uh, well, I think you know the answer, but I'll answer it anyway. Um, so, Lawrence, so I, the last two years that I was in Chicago, I lived in Uptown. And Uptown is known as a neighborhood that is for immigrants. Um, obviously, that's changing now because the neighborhood is gentrifying like crazy. Um, yes. But traditionally, it's been the settling ground for immigrants, not just um, not just Vietnamese people, but um, Thai and Chinese people, and then before that, Jewish communities. Um, so all the way, I believe since the 1920s or so, um, there's always been different groups of, of immigrants settling in the Uptown community, and not just Argyle, but um, Uptown as a whole. Like nowadays you'll see immigrants from all over the place. Like when I walk down Broadway to go down to that Target, mm -hmm. um, there's a bunch of African businesses and African people um, speaking their language and wearing their native clothing. Um, so it's just an incredibly diverse neighborhood. And that's part of why I loved it so much because in San Diego, we've got all kinds of immigrants here as well. Um, so it just felt like home to me. Uh, so Lawrence Avenue and Argyle Street are two of the main um, 
streets in the Argyle neighborhood. Um, if you're from Chicago, you know that they are, it's not an intersection. The streets just run parallel to each other. And my apartment was actually um, right between those two streets. Mm. And I've never felt more at home in a place before. So I just wanted to name the company after, um, after what felt right to me, what felt like home. And being around all these different immigrant neighborhoods and languages and people, um, I guess just Lawrence and Argyle, it, it felt right to reflect the message of the, the company that I was trying to create. So that's what it means. Um, and then somebody also pointed out to me, it's not just Uptown, but if you go all the way down um, Argyle and all the way down Lawrence, especially uh, like into the Albany Park area, um, yeah. those neighborhoods are also pretty, pretty um, heavily um, immigrant populated as well. So it's not just uptown, but it's it's really just that that whole north side corridor. Mm, yeah. Looking back on Lawrence and Argyle, otherwise what is also known as like Asia and Argyle or yeah. uh, New Chinatown or Little mm -hmm. Vietnamese Town or mm -hmm. Little Vietnam, I should say. I have had such a long uh, long relationship uh, with that community like as a ch growing up as a child um even though i grew up in the suburbs my parents would go there every weekend and i used to hate going over there i mean <laughs> this is something this is something i'll be probably repeating at some certain points because i'll be talking with folks and that have been familiar with argyle um uh, mm -hmm. but but the the mom and pop stores that have been ex in existence for a number of years uh, this was my way of connecting uh with my culture it was also my way of for my parents to stay connected with their culture to find a sense of community right. um, and it has always when i think of chicago it was it's always been the first that comes up i mean mm -hmm. yeah you can think of downtown you can think of the sears or willis tower or uh, navy pier but when i think of chicago it's always been that community because that is where we had spent most of our time when we visit chicago it's always been that mm -hmm. uh community it's it's been a destination for uh, my family uh for a long period of time and uh i also i have also lived in rogers park another very diverse immigrant yes. community only about like Definitely. 10 minutes north of uptown so when i had lived in rogers park i had been there quite frequently and yeah this is a place where i get my hair cut still mm -hmm. i you know get my quick fix of food and desserts right. and, and also where I would spend a lot of my time hanging out with close friends or mm -hmm. even colleagues or people that I just met. Um, so it has always been like my own meeting place. So it, it, that community has been very special to me, um, but it's also been changing. It's been evolving. Uh, there's gentrification that's going on. But there's also uh, the the first generation of Southeast Asian immigrants, uh, business owners are retiring. Right. And it's been replaced by younger generations who are modernizing Argyle, which you can also say contributes to the gentrification. Um, I'll actually be talking with my good friend, Hak Tran about this um, because he's been a big part of, you know, the Chamber of Commerce uh, for Argyle. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm but but there's there is a change. There is this um the torch is being passed passed down to to our generation to carry that legacy alive. But where it's going is still very uncertain because of the gentrification that's been happening, right? So Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember when I saw Lawrence and Argyle like on your Instagram I was very drawn to it. I was like, oh my gosh, who is this person? Uh -huh. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. That's so I, yeah, that's funny. I, we haven't even known each other that long, but I feel like we've always known each other because we've had right. this, uh, yeah, I guess this common identity and this common, right. um, in a way, place-based heritage Yes. on Argyle, too. And I, so I mentioned that I, my brother and I were born in the Chicago suburbs, right. and my mom would drive my grandma and my all of us out to the out to Argyle every weekend when I was a baby to go grocery shopping. Um, and I didn't actually know this until I moved to Uptown a couple years ago. Um, and then I showed my mom my new apartment when she visited and then we took a little walk and she's like, you know, 
we have history here too. Like, like your grandma and I, we would go grocery shopping in these grocery stores every weekend yeah. and there was so much traffic and all the Vietnamese people from yes. the suburbs would just descend on Argyle um, over the weekend. And that's still true now. Yeah. Maybe not so as much as it used to be, but yeah, right. Oh yeah, exactly. Then, oh yeah. Back then you, it, my dad used to circle around the parking lots for, um, <laughs> for like, I don't know how long it would just go on for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it was a bustling area during the weekends. Right. So yeah, definitely. yeah I've definitely. always had such a soft spot uh, for that community every time I think about it, but it's, it's, um, I'm glad that it has the impact that it has on you and, and yeah, feels like that, yeah, and that uh, your merchandise uh, reflects the the narrative, the the many narratives, uh, not only from that neighborhood, but also kind of giving like giving you this example of 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 what it looks like, what it feels like, right? Yeah, and I think that you know, uptown is a wonderful place, but there are so many neighborhoods in our country, yes. like uptown, where immigrants land and settle and raise their families and build homes and build lives together um so i think it it's just in a way universal and again it's not just happening today or in the past couple decades but you know like we're if we're talking about like since the founding of america so even before our people started coming you know you had the 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 Jewish people and the the dirty Irish and the Italians would come over and they weren't wanted in their communities either. So this is a very American story of just being an immigrant and not speaking the language or having a funny accent and, and just desperately trying to to build something for your family to hold on to. I think it's it's just universal and it's it's timeless and it's something that we can all relate to in one way or another. When you started launching the merchandise, what was your expectation when you first created created it? And also, what was the response when you connected with, I would imagine, uh, in the community spaces that you were a part of? What was that reaction like once you started launching that? Um, the reaction was mostly positive. Um, I had a lot of people say... And I still have a lot of people say that this message is much needed. Um, a lot of people see me at events, see my table at see my table or booths at um, you know street fairs or festivals or whatever, and they say, "Oh wow, this is amazing! We're all immigrants." Um, and my response is, "Well, not all of us, but yeah, most of us are." Because I don't want to I don't want to take anything away from the experience of the native people. Right. Um, so, so there's that aspect of no, we're not all immigrants, although, but we are all American. I um, would also, and also, kind of chiming in with the refugee part. Mm -hmm. There's like there's kind of like a nuanced difference between refugee and immigrant. To, to oh, absolutely. Because yeah, one is forced. There, one is, is a forced removal, and mm -hmm. and that also plays into it. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got some people coming here from. Um, you know, whatever country, just to, not just to, but to get an education and create a better life. But there are people who are forced to flee. And that's a completely different experience when you don't have a choice and you're just trying to, literally trying to live mm. and not be killed. So yeah, absolutely. Immigrant and refugee are often not the same thing. You're right. Yeah. And did you find yourself struggling uh, with other folks who carry a lot of xenophobic racist comments because i know like when you're out in public selling mm -hmm. your merchandise it opens up a dialogue right but it also yes. opens up potential unwarranted dialogue that you may not yeah. be quite ready for or you may not that, that may just throw you off yeah definitely that happens in person and online and both of them are really difficult for me um but generally the number one negative thing that people say is yeah but we came here the right way um, which, you know, good for you. Everybody wants to come here um, with all the papers and, and just, you know, hop on that plane and, and land here and, and be welcomed and embraced. But it's really not that easy to come legally. And when people are making that life or death journey up through our southern border, 
they're not doing it because you know they heard the Grand Canyon is beautiful and they've always wanted to see Disneyland. They're doing it to save their families' lives. Um, I mean, we're talking about people who are coming from extreme economic distress and gang violence and are just trying to live. Um, so the main, yeah. So the main negative comment that I get is that immigrants are fine as long as they're legal, but I, I really just don't understand why we don't have the compassion for people who are making that journey, even though hundreds of people die every year just trying to get across. They're not coming up here, you know, for funsies. They're coming up here because mm -hmm. they have to. And I think it, I think it would uh, behoove all of us to show some compassion and really think about the circumstances that lead people to make these, these decisions. So yeah, that's the only negative thing that, that I hear, honestly. Yeah, do you, like in having these encounters with folks, were there points where you were able to make to get through to them? I know that you're, it's hard to get everyone to to have that compassion. I mean, it's either you have it or you don't, right? Mm -hmm. um, but do you find yourself being able to maybe twist one or two people's arms? Be like, no. hey, that's really no. Honestly, I I never have, but I also don't try. Um, exactly. yeah. I think that. I think that, uh, at the Lawrence and Argyle and the message behind Lawrence and Argyle is only for the people who already are in solidarity with immigrants. Mm -hmm. Um, if you see, if somebody, if a Trump supporter sees a shirt that says child of immigrants, they're not going to give a shit. They're not going to be like, Oh, wait a second. Me too. Um, they're, they're not going to care. So it's, it's not for them. I don't expect that their hearts and minds will be changed, uh, with, Lawrence and Argyle or with, you know, a conversation with me at my table. Um, but uh, I, I have no expectation of that because it, it's it's not for them. It's for us. It's for me and you and people like us. And I think it's beautiful to have that because when I see a person wearing a shirt that represents an identity that connects with me, mm -hmm. I, feel, I feel safer in a, mm -hmm. in a sense. And like yeah, absolutely. Say, yeah, when you go into community spaces, or if, if I'm on a CTA, or if I'm going to a random store in some white suburb, and I see a person, you know, wearing something that clearly shows solidarity or an identity that they connect with, it does make things, in a sense, easier to absorb and to know that mm -hmm. you know I do feel safe, and I believe that what you do when you're merchandise, at least brings that comfort in within our own communities right and and to know that we share these uh similar parallels uh and though different legacies though different uh backstories but there are certain things that uh that bring us together so i i do appreciate what uh clothing I, i've seen this with other folks other immigrant uh, refugee uh, folks or second generation folks uh, who are creating merchandise uh, that represent these identities. And when I see mm -hmm. them, it's it's very powerful to me. It's very powerful yeah. for communities to have that. So, you know, yeah. to you on that. Uh, mm -hmm. now that you. you're, yeah, now that you're in San Diego, where do you see this moving forward now that you are um, back in SoCal? What do you look to do with this merchandise? And what do you look to do um professionally um that's a great question i've been asked that a few times now and i think my next step is to do less in-person selling and try to get into retail outlets um selling in person at these events is really great because i get to create that personal connection with my customers but it's also not really sustainable um for me as a, as a person and I'm not at the level yet where I can hire people to help me really. Um, so my next step is to sell to wholesale, um, is to sell to, to gift shops and boutiques and that kind of thing so that they can do the selling for me. And wow. I think as, as I'm able to do that nationwide, the word will get out and the brand will become more familiar. So, um, I don't know if you know this yet, but, um, the wing Luke museum in Seattle, um, recently just started carrying my enamel pins in their gift shop. Awesome. Oh, that's yeah, that's one of my, thank you. That's one of my favorite museums. Um, it's the Wing Luke Museum of Asian Pacific American Heritage is I think their full name. And it, it celebrates 
it just celebrates the legacy of our people in this country and it's just the most amazing museum and i i'm just a huge fangirl of everything that they do i've been there a handful of times and every uh, have you been there randy i have not i've been have, to seattle before and i have some folks over there so okay dude you gotta to go you've got yeah. to go it's the most amazing museum you'll your heart and your soul will just be filled with pride. But anyway, so they're selling my um, my pins in their gift shop. And I've gone into a, a couple of other retail outlets as well. So I, to answer your question, I think that's my next step. So suggestions are, are welcomed. Yeah. So as we're kind of wrapping up uh, for today, I wanted to ask you, can you share us any plugs, any projects you're working on? How can we follow you? Yeah, thank you for asking. So I'm on Instagram. Um, the handle is Lawrence and Argyle. Um, and is spelled out A-N-D. Um, on Facebook, same thing, at Lawrence and Argyle. And the website is lawrenceandargyle.com. Um, if anybody is in Southern California, I'm going to be selling in December at Unique Markets. Um, and if you want more info on that, then just follow on Instagram or Facebook, and I'll be plugging, plugging away at that. Um, in the upcoming months so so yeah just just keep an eye out for um more product selection more messages but definitely the same thing just standing in solidarity with with our heritage of of immigrants and immigration and and people just trying to make it in new in a new country it's it's what america's been about for a long time yeah so i would say so one of the last questions i have uh what has mm -hmm. been in chicago after the past seven years taught you and what do you hope to bring back home? I know you've kind of in a way answered it, but I, I kind of want to have a little bit of a reinforcer. Yeah. Um, so the thing that stood out to me the most about Chicago is that people in Chicago have a voice and they're not afraid to use it. If something makes them unhappy or if they're not being treated right, you will hear about it. And I think that's amazing because everyone has a voice, but not everybody uses it. Right. Um, but in Chicago, people are so vocal about social justice and activism and and just speaking up for the people who can't speak up for themselves. Um, so especially in, in our, um, you know, field of interest, uh, Randy, people are incredibly vocal about their solidarity with immigrants and refugees and being a sanctuary city. Um, and they're they just do everything that they can to to alert their neighbors about an ice raid or um, even just putting signs in their window and making people feel welcome, um, even if they, they look different or don't speak the same language. Um, I just love that sense of activism and solidarity in Chicago. And I took so much from that, just observing how vocal and strong Chicagoans are. And I really grew from it. So I'm really hoping that I can continue to grow and, and use some of that knowledge to hopefully have some kind of impact in San Diego and in California as well. Oh, that is just amazing. I'm mm -hmm. so grateful for um, having met you. Uh, oh, likewise, man. I, 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 I feel like we have known each other much longer. And yeah. I feel like that what we have shared in common are those that run very deep in our veins, which is probably why it feels like we've known each other for a long period of time. Definitely, I think so. And I want to say congratulations on what you're doing with Lawrence and Argyle, and I'm glad that you're now taking it to different businesses and that they're now starting to sell um, your merchandise just to kind of get at least help take some of the burden off your shoulders here. But I'm Thank glad you. that the yeah. message is resonating with Thank a you. lot of folks in our community and that um, people are are comfortable wearing, presenting themselves and probably uh, sharing their roots and yeah. open up dialogue. And, mm -hmm. and when you wear merchandise, it opens up a dialogue. So when you see folks doing that, there's more conversations that are going on. There's more stories to be shared and yeah, uh, definitely. there's opportunities for collaboration that comes out of it. So uh, great work on what you're Thank doing. You. Uh, Thank you. Wishing you all the best in San Diego. And Thank I, you, Randy. I, I don't know how much I will wish you the best when you're in December, January, February, <laughs> March, April, part of me, but <laughs> I'm saying this because I'm a little 
jaded because I have to live in the Midwest during the unpleasant times, but mm. we're, we're tough people. Yeah, but, exactly. It makes we, you stronger. But we, do, but we like to complain a little bit. We do like to get a little uh, <laughs> petty uh, every now and then, but I, I would love to stop by to um, SoCal on one of these Oh my days, gosh, yes. So. You're always welcome. You always have a place in my home, definitely. Um, thank you so much. And really, thank yeah. you for your time. And thank you for for sharing such... Yeah, thanks for uh, having me and asking me to participate. Yeah, thank you for sharing your family story and your connections. And it's something that I have such a great um, connection to hearing. So thank you yeah, again. Likewise. Yeah, my pleasure, Randy. Thank you so much. All right. Well, take care and thank you again. All right. You too. Take care. All right. Goodbye. Bye.